0: I go any further, I want to thank the people who shared these with me and asked you to find me afterwards, because I don't remember who you were. So this helped keep the chill off. Three nights ago, I was shivering when I started out. But There were compassionate souls. So whoever loaned these to me, will you please help me get them back to you after the meeting? I'll put them right here. And also, one just one little kind of, I don't know, what before we have the prayer, I just want to say, I've had a number of people that have spoken to me over the course of the time we've been here with comments about, it's been clear in the presentations that a personal relationship with Jesus is the core of Christianity. Is there uh, more presentations that could be shared that help us sharpen our tool set, so to speak, for developing that closer walk with Jesus that we would all want to have, and and uh, for those who've asked that question to me personally, I would just say that um, after you've done all your cleanup that, that that you're supposed to do at the ABC, there's a book called "It's All About Him," and that's a book that um, I wrote a few years ago. And actually, as we go as Margie and I go from church to church doing the revival seminars the object of those seminars is to try to help people sharpen the tools so that they can grow in their personal walk with Jesus and experience a richer uh, revival. And um, nine of the 13 seminar presentations are actually contained as chapters in that book. So you don't have to invite us to come to your church. Buy the book. Save yourselves a lot of time. Get right on it. Get your revival uh, experience growing even um, with, with, with this small group. And Anyway, that way I'm sure that book's probably really on sale at the ABC. I haven't checked, but so <clears throat> that's that. I always feel awkward saying anything like that because I hell, I just hate making. I hate the feeling of self-promotion, and so you need to understand. The only reason I said it, it's not self-promotion. I want people who want to know how to know Jesus better and want a few tools. To have them. Because I want you to know Jesus better. That's what I want. and I don't care whether I got zero royalty. That's not the issue. I just want you to have a closer walk with Jesus just like I want to have a closer walk with Jesus. So please forgive me for sounding like maybe I was promoting something. And Let's pray and get on with other things. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, it has been good for us to be here. I'm thinking about Peter and how he said <clears throat> on the Mount of Transfiguration, let us build three tabernacles here. And uh, just sort of feels like that's what we should do here at Camp Richardson. Um, Margie and I have so appreciated the, just the privilege it has been ours to mingle with your people here. And our hearts have all been warmed together as we've looked in the direction of Jesus. And so... Tonight we ask that you'd warm our hearts one more time, that the Holy Spirit would again do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Give us spiritual eyesight, um, understanding, um, hearing, just anoint each one of us. And again, I would ask that you'd push the enemy and his angels just so far out of this area that We have unobstructed channels to receive your blessing. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was going to school as an 8th grader, back before we had driver's licenses and things like that, on Sabbath afternoon, many times, a friend of mine by the name of John Worth and I would go for bicycle rides, long bicycle rides on Sabbath afternoon out through the country roads, away from town. And, um, I remember one particular Sabbath afternoon when John and I had gone for a rather lengthy ride and it, it had all been good and we'd reached a sort of a goal or destination and we'd turned around and we were starting to come back and we were going through sort of a, you know, it's pretty rural area. In fact, there were farmhouses along the road and I was going ahead of John And as I was pedaling along, approaching on a flat road, as I was pedaling along this flat road, approaching a farmhouse to the right, suddenly I heard what I'm sure was probably the largest dog in America, (laughs) barking like he meant business, and that I was business. And uh, my heart kind of sank within me because... I've never been a big one on um, dealing with dogs that bark and snarl and bear their fangs. and um, I've always been impressed with my wife, Margie, because I don't know what it is about her, but she we were just up in Alaska a camp meeting. We went for a walk, and we came around a corner, and one of those kind of dogs came after us, and I quickly hid behind her. <laughs> and... That dog came up to her, and she's like, in that dog's face, you know. She's telling it to get out of here, go home, just leave us alone. You're not going to deal with us today. And the dog was very obedient and apologized profusely. (laughs) Offered to kiss Margie if, you know, if she wanted one. But, you know, anyway, the dog left us alone, and I was glad for Margie. That's been the way she's been. She doesn't seem to be afraid of those dogs. They tell you, or they tell me, that the dogs won't really bother you if you don't let them know you're afraid of them. That is just the most ridiculous counsel. <laughs> how do you let a dog, how do you fool a dog into thinking you're not afraid? They smell fear. And I'm sure I was emanating fear. So anyway, this dog comes rushing out. He's coming up along, out the long driveway to that farmhouse, and I can tell he's intent on intercepting me. And I'm pedaling along, and I, I can tell also that we're going to intersect about the same place where I get to that driveway. It's like we're gonna—we're timing it just about right for me to be there when he gets there. And <clears throat> so, thinking very quickly under pressure, I decided to put my dog side leg over this side of my bicycle. Have you ever tried to pedal with one foot? <laughs> so I'm trying to go down with one foot. I've actually got my other leg kind of up on the handlebar. And I'm trying to pedal with one foot. I get the pedal down, but of course, it doesn't want to come up by itself. This dog is making it hard for me to concentrate too, because he is showing his teeth, you know how they do. It's like he's curling up his lip, and, and he's growling ferociously, and he's barking just it's like sonic booms every time he barks, and... And so I, I put my foot under the pedal and try to pull it up on this side so that I can push it down again. And I'm limping along, limping along. And then he rushes around to the other side. He's smarter than I am. And so I put my legs both up on the handlebars. It's flat ground. The laws of physics are against me. And it's clear that we're soon going to have a confrontation, this dog and I. And, and um, So then I put my, I'm going slower and slower and slower, in my feet up there, I'm thinking, this is never going to do. And so then I took and I put my other leg down. Oh, he's on that side, and I start trying to pedal with one foot on this side. And he comes around again to this side, and I'm, my bike is now going so slow that it's starting to <laughs> wobble, you know. And I'm sure, I'm already imagining the pain as he puts his fangs into my calf or whatever he chose to go into. And all of a sudden, at that crisis moment of my life, I hear what sounds like a kamikaze pilot headed our way. I look over my shoulder as I'm wobbling, and John Worth, my eighth grade friend, is pedaling his bicycle like a... I was going to say a bat out of hell, but that wouldn't be appropriate, so I won't say that. <laughs> and he is going so fast, and he's headed for that dog, and he is shouting, Get out of here! And he's going right for the dog. Just, that dog looked back at John, and he said, I'm history, man. And it turned around, and it left. Well, I was so amazed as John came by. He just came pounding by, screaming at that dog. Already started disassembling the stage for you. Man, I think I ruined it. Is it the microphone? Must be the microphone. There. Oh, okay. Yes. I have repaired it. There is no charge. So, back to John, he's screaming at that dog, get out of here, and he's pedaling right for it. And I'm in just stupefaction, watching him come in. I'm thinking, what a brave guy, you know, and he's ready to sacrifice life and limb on my behalf. And, and I'm just watching. And he goes right on by me. The dog's turned and started to run. And and, and then as he goes by, he yells at me, pedal! Pedal! Ah, yes. And so I began pedaling and we got out of there. And you can see that I'm alive yet. And it didn't, you know, I still have to get counseling for it. But The, the thing that stood out in my mind about John that day was that he was willing to be bitten so that I'd have a chance to get out of there. He was willing to offer himself to that dog, if that's what it was going to take. You know, he's trying to scare it, but he knew that there's a possibility that dog might not be scared. And he was coming at it anyway, willing to offer himself on my behalf. Now you see where I'm going with this illustration. I want to look with you at John 18. And John 18 begins in a quiet place. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has frequently sought quiet places for prayer. One of the things that you see over and over in the Gospels are comments like this, rising up a great while before day, He went out into a solitary place and there prayed. Isn't it interesting? The Son of God felt it necessary to begin His day with quiet time alone with the Father. Communing, communing, connecting. And doesn't it just sort of strike you that if the Son of God needed to have daily connection with the Father, that human beings might benefit by time with God in the morning too? And throughout the day? Jesus frequently sought quiet places for communion through prayer. And I guess the question I'd start with with you as we begin this contemplation is, do you have a quiet place to meet with God day by day? You know, sometimes... You won't have a quiet place unless you get up earlier to have it. Do you have a place that you go regularly, systematically, for the purpose of communing with God, meeting Jesus in His Word? Judas is going to arrive soon here in Gethsemane. And the trouble will intensify. But first we find Jesus alone with God. The reason he was able to stand so calmly before the mob a little while later was because he had been bowing low before the Father. That's where he got his strength. That's where he got his power. Some people pray when Calvary hits, and there's a crisis in their life. They pray. They resort to prayer. But you know, there's a story that Jesus told, a parable, about a wise man who built his house. Remember those motions from kindergarten or whatever whatever grade that was in that we were doing that. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Remember that. And the foolish man built his house upon the what? Sand. Sand. And then the floods came. The rains came down, and the floods came up. Remember that. And the rains came down, and the floods came up. And the house on the rock, what happened to it? It stood firm. The house that was built in sand, what happened to it? it did we, did we say splat? What did we say? I don't remember what we said. Went flat? Flat. Okay, so the house on the sand went flat. Now, obviously, Jesus is trying to tell us that the foundation is important, right? And, of course, remember that he is the rock. So that's important, and that's a good, a good thing to learn from that parable. But there's something else to learn from that parable that often goes overlooked, and this is it. When the rains come down and the floods come up, it's too late to change foundations. Nobody changes foundations when the crisis hits. So if you're waiting for the last trolley out, if you think you're going to keep monitoring world events and when you see it getting close to the things you've read about and studied when you were younger and you're going to try and make your connection with Jesus, then you know what? It's going to be too late to build a new foundation. You won't do it. So here's an admonishment and encouragement to us in that story. To build on the rock now. Now. Climb up on the rock. Now. Huh. Smuts Van Royen. Anybody know Smuts Van Royen? Not very many, huh? He was a teacher I had at Loma Linda University, La Sierra Campus. And a pastor. And um, at a camp meeting one time that I was at, he was speaking. And he told me a story that had just happened to him. I'll never forget him as he told this story to me. He told the story with such obvious emotion that it was clearly deep, going deep with him. This is the story he told me. <clears throat> he said that uh, they were at camp meeting, a previous camp meeting that they just come from, him his wife and him, himself. And and one night, and they had they had to sleep in. in oh, it was Soquel. And it was back when they. I don't know if they still do, but it was back when they had those those like metal frame beds with the foam mattresses and the springs around the side and you know and they sagged really, you know, in the middle and and he said that he and his wife each had their own single bed in a tent. And he said that he had a dream that night. And in his dream he was with his church members. He recognized his own church members. He was a pastor at the time. He recognized his own church members and in his dream he was at the beach on a Sabbath afternoon, for a church potluck. And they were all down there, and they were getting their things ready to have a little potluck, and and, um, there was a guy with a guitar, and they were going to have a little sing-along, and food was being laid out, and, and, and blankets were being put on the sand, and there was a great big rock right beside the beach that they were on. And all of a sudden, in his dream, Smuts felt this strong conviction that they needed to get off the beach and climb onto the rock. And it just was so overpowering that he said to all of his church members, you know, we need to get on this rock. We just need to, get, we need to stop what we're doing and we need to climb on the rock. Who will climb on the rock with me? And they all laughed at him. He said, we came here for a potluck. You know, The tide's going out. There's no big deal. No need to worry about this. Um, we're not getting on the rock. We're getting ready to eat. Well, Smuts was under such a burden that they needed to get on the rock that he went over and started climbing this large rock. A couple of his church members joined him. So there's like three of them going up the rock together. This is a dream he had. And then he said, just about that time, a large wave unexpectedly came in, swept all the way up, got the food wet, and then receded. And he called back to his church members, you see, I think we need to get off the beach. We must climb onto the rock. Please, join us now before it's too late. And they all laughed. and They said, no harm done. We can ring them." We can wring the blankets out and most of the food's going to be okay. And that's just one rare freak wave and it's okay. And he kept begging them to climb on the rock with him but they wouldn't respond. So he kept going higher and higher. All of a sudden another wave came in, bigger. This time it got everybody wet. Everybody kind of like up on their heels and fell into the water. And then they got their their footing and then the water receded. He said he remembered in his dream the guy with the guitar turned his guitar over and dumped water out of the hole. Now everything's really wet and the people are wet. And he says, you see, we must get on. Come, join us as we climb on this rock. We've got to get to the top of this rock. And they laughed at him. His church members laughed at him. And they said, oh, it felt good. It's a hot day. Come on down. We're here for a potluck. You know, it's going to be fun. So he kept climbing with these two other people. They got almost to the very top of the rock and there was an amazing thing. There was a door in the rock. It's just like carved into the rock. And it had a little porthole ship's window in it. He says he pushed on it and the door opened and he and the other two people walked in. There was a little room in there. They shut the door and then they looked through the porthole window. And as they looked through the porthole window in his dream, he said... that suddenly it was as though the ocean inhaled and all the water just backed off to the horizon, just whoosh. And he's looking down and he said he could see kelp beds with the kelp laying over. He could see old tires and stuff on the floor of the ocean. He could see derelict ships down there at the bottom of the ocean and just the ocean floor stretching out to the horizon. And then suddenly he said they begin to feel a tremble like a freight train coming by when you're just a few feet away. The earth was shaking, the rock was shaking, and as they looked through the portal, they saw this wall of water that seemed to reach clear up into the highest part of the sky and it was rushing towards the beach and it crashed on the beach and the water surged all the way up above the window and then receded back down again. And when it was over, he looked down through the window and he saw the dead bodies of his church members strewn across the beach well he was so he woke up at that moment from the dream and he was so terrified by the dream it seemed so real to him at that moment that he got out of his little bed and he went over and climbed into bed with his wife <laughs> on that little single bed with the you know springs and all and she said smuts what are you doing he said i had a bad dream And she she said, go back to your bed. You know, you must have eaten too many burritos tonight or something, but just go back to bed. So he went back to his bed. He didn't tell her the dream. He didn't tell anybody the dream. And finally he fell asleep. Two weeks later, he was back at his home church, preaching on Sabbath. This is not a dream. This is what happened. Two weeks later. After church, he was shaking hands with the saints as they were going out the door. And there was one of his church members that was standing in the foyer off to one side, obviously waiting to talk to him. Finally, there was nobody left, just he and the church member. The church member came over to him. Smut says, you've been waiting for a while. Is something on your mind? He said, yeah, actually there is. He said, um, I feel real foolish about what I'm going to say to you. Somebody says, oh, don't worry. You don't have to feel foolish. You know, it's not going to be a problem. Say whatever's on your heart. And he says, well, no, I feel very foolish because I've never had anything like this happen in my life. But he said, I had a dream. And in the dream, an angel appeared to me. And the angel said to me in the dream, I want you to give a message to your pastor. And I want you to do it this Sabbath. You don't need to understand what the message means. You just give him the message and he'll know what it means. He said, I feel like a fool telling you that. Because, I mean, what if I just ate too many burritos, you know? <laughs> Smut said, oh no, come on, go ahead. Tell me, tell, me, tell me what it was. And the guy said, the message, the angel said, tell your pastor to keep urging his people to climb onto the rock. Climb onto the rock. Wow. And as Smuts told me that story, he started crying. That was how real it was for him. We've got to climb onto the rock now. Not later. Now. And the way you climb onto the rock is by seeking to become better acquainted with Christ day by day in his word. Jesus was doing his homework, He had put His foundation on the rock. The Father, He was communicating and spending time getting His spiritual life charged and recharged on a daily basis. He'd asked the disciples to pray. You remember that. He asked them to join Him in prayer. They meant well, they intended to. But they didn't, they kept falling asleep. I wonder if perhaps he's tried to urge you to prayer. But you kept falling asleep. The bed was soft, the pillow was warm. I mean, the bed was warm, the pillow was soft. And you you just said, well, you know, not right now. Not right now. What a picture. Three times Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, could you just pray with me for one hour? He's begging them to pray with him. The human heart in sorrow or in crisis craves companionship. And one of the things that was going on for Jesus at this point was that the Father was already beginning to separate the sense of his presence from his Son as Jesus began to assume the weight of the sins of the world. And so there's this exchange going on, right? And Jesus is feeling more and more alone. And in his loneliness and in his, in his crisis moment, he comes to his disciples and he says, Would you please pray with me for just one hour? These are the same people who earlier had said they'd never forsake him. You know, They're going to be with him to the end. But they can't stay awake. Finally, in my mind, I have this picture. Jesus has three times asked for them to pray. Three times he's gone back over to the spot there in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's fallen prostrate. The Bible says prostrate on the ground. That's spread out desperately. Clutching soil. Pleading with his father for another way. And then... An angel. Praise God for Gabriel. An angel sent to give him the comfort that the disciples wouldn't give him. And the angel holds Jesus in his arms. He says, I got a message from home. Your dad says, hang in there. He's with you on this thing even though it doesn't look like it or feel like it. And the angel tells him about Moses and about Elijah and about all of the redeemed that are going to one day walk the streets of gold because of his sacrifice. And the great heart of Christ takes courage. And he says, I don't want to go home without them. And so he comes back over after being strengthened by the angel. He comes back over and he sits on a rock and looks at the sleeping disciples. Much as a mother might look down on a sleeping baby in a cradle. Just looks with fondness at them. What a picture. Our our Savior patiently waiting for the traitor's arrival but watching over His disciples while He waits. Letting them rest just a little longer while He readies to meet the hurricane that's about to hit. And the hurricane hits. 600 soldiers, thugs, tramps, ruffians, scoundrels, and some priests. What a company they're keeping, huh? Some pastors. John 18 is where we're going to pick it up now, beginning with verse 4. I'm going to put it on the screen. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to Him. Stepping forward to meet them, He asked, Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And as he said it, they all fell backwards to the ground. Once more he asked them, Who are you searching for? And again they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. Everyone is searching for Jesus, whether they know it or not. Everyone is searching for Jesus. There's a song that used to play on the radio when I was young, looking for love in all the wrong places. People have been looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. Everybody has a God-shaped vacuum in their heart. And it will never be filled or satisfied until Jesus abides there. Never. I'm interested in the fact that Jesus said, Who are you looking for? There's some real meaning in that, I think, for us. Who are you looking for? <clears throat> he did not say, What? What? A lot of us have suckered for that one. What to do, what not to do. Focusing on what. It's a dead end street. It's a place to get bruised and bloody. Beaten. What. What to do. What not to do. Trying hard to stay out of trouble and do what's right. Trying hard to hold badness in check. You know, badness held in check is not righteousness. And it would be good for some of us to recognize that Just because we aren't in jail doesn't make us savable. He didn't ask what. He didn't ask why. There are people who are really... Enamored with the question why. And they like to ask deep probing questions and go way off on long intellectual forays into theology, you know. But Jesus didn't ask why. He didn't ask when either. That's another question that we seem to get sidetracked with. When? When's he going to come? When's the final, when's the Sunday law? When's this, when's that? When's the Pope going to sign up with America? When, when, when? And we have these people that just love to watch the timeline in the news. And they have their little clip outs and they keep posting the pastor on how it's coming down and it's getting closer. Look at this, did you know that Bush just had this meeting? Or did you know that Obama's going to, you know what just happened? When, 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 what? You know what? If you don't know who, when's not going to matter. And guess what else? If you know who, when doesn't matter either. Because whether you die tonight or whether you live till Jesus comes, if you know who, you're going to come up on the right side. If all you know is when, you're lost for eternity. Those timelines can be more of a hindrance than a help. And I've been thinking a little bit about why people are so concerned with when. At least one possible reason is they've still been working hard at trying to do what. And they realize that doing what isn't easy and they keep failing and falling trying to do what. And so if someone could just tell them when is about to happen, then maybe they could buck up and do what for a few days and make it through across the line before it's too late. So they want to be scared into doing what right. But Jesus didn't ask what? Jesus said, who? Who? Who are you looking for? They said Jesus, but they really didn't think he was the answer to their search. To their deep, personal search. They didn't think so. They said Jesus, but they didn't really think that He was the answer to give their life meaning and purpose and joy and love and fulfillment and peace and rest. He's the only place those things come from, He's the source. He's the source. Who is the most important question you could ask? Always has been, always will be. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal more and more of Jesus to you. Precious revelations. Like Paul, I would join him in Ephesians 3 with a prayer for all of us. May you have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's my prayer for all of us. Well, consider his love. This love that passes knowledge. Consider this love. Back in the garden, the rabble crowd has just come. Jesus steps forward. He says, who are you looking for? He goes out to meet them. As he says, who are you looking for? The crowd is decked. And they all hit the ground. And they're all terrified. That's powerful to me as well. Because it is immediately clear who is in charge of this situation. Jesus is in charge. And that's huge. Because what it says to me is Jesus is saying, I'm doing this of my own free will. I don't have to go through with this. I step forward and say, who are you looking for? And they're all on the ground groveling in fear. You know, he said to the disciples after Peter pulls the sword, put it away. If I wanted it, I'd have 12 legions of angels here. These people be no match for one angel. So, I am doing this of my own free will. I don't have to do this. I'm stepping forward. I mean, think about it also. Remember a little later when he's talking to Pilate? And Pilate demands to know, you know, are you the Son of God? And Jesus doesn't answer. And then Pilate says to him, How is it that you remain silent? How come you don't answer? Don't you realize that I have the power to sentence you to death or to set you free? And I love what Jesus says. He says, he looks up into the face of the man who thinks he has the power to decide Jesus' destiny. And he looks in the eye and he says, you would have no power over me if it weren't being given to you. In other words, I chose this. And the only reason you guys are getting away with it is because I'm permitting you to. I don't have to put up with this. I choose. He's the one in charge. I think about right after Peter cuts the ear. Remember? If you read the sequence in Scripture, they have already grabbed Jesus and they have bound Him. And these are no wimps. This is the, you know, the guards, the Roman guards. These guys are buff. They're tough. They're bad dudes. And they have Jesus wrapped up. They've got Him tied and bound. He's got people all around Him, a circle of people. Peter cuts off an ear, and Jesus says, just a minute, let me fix that ear. That looks really bad. Here, <clears throat> let me put that back on. I think you're going to hear better now. All right. Okay, good. Feel better? All right, good. Peter, put your sword away. All right. Okay, guys, where were we now? Go ahead. Didn't you have me bound? He didn't have to be there. He chose it. He let them do it to Him. Because He didn't want to go home without you. Without me. Consider His love. Then consider His love. Now hear His words. He stepped forward. Notice the condition that He puts to them on behalf of this little band of disciples. And actually, I can hear Him putting forth this condition on behalf of you and I as well. John 18.8 Jesus answered... I have told you, because they just said, you know, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth the second time. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Another version says, let these go free. Okay, so I'm here. You're looking for me. You got me. Now let these go free. The dauntless lion of Judah steps boldly up to the face of his enemy. He does not wait for them to attack. He goes forth to meet death. He gives himself up voluntarily for us. Our Savior goes to meet his enemies and he says, Here I am. I've come to give myself up. There's no need to hunt for me. I'm here. There's no running. We're not going to run. We're not going to fight. I'm here. One thing though, one thing. You've got me. Now you let these people out of here. And it proves, once again, he's still in control because they let him go. He's still calling the shots. The care of Christ towards his people amidst tremendous agony of heart. He's had to wipe the bloody sweat from Gethsemane. He knows what he's about. That that verse began saying, knowing full well what was going to happen to him, he stepped forward and said, who are you looking for? Knowing full well. Knowing full will. He wiped the bloody sweat. He knows what's coming next. And instead of thinking of himself, he thinks of his friends. You've got me. Now let them go. Let these go free. You know, we don't fault people who overlook us when they're experiencing crisis situations in their lives. Someone's in big trouble. Something comes down, their house catches on fire, and they were supposed to meet you for a dinner appointment, and they don't show up, and you're down there waiting and waiting, and they never do show up, and finally you try calling them, and you can't get them. Uh, you just get voicemail, and the day later, you find out their house burned to the ground. They didn't make it to the meeting. And they say call you, and they say, Hey, I just have to apologize for missing that appointment. My house burned down yesterday. And what do you say? Well, <laughs> could have called. I mean, I sat there in that restaurant for an hour. I didn't even order anything. I was hungry. You could have at least called. You could have had the courtesy to call. No, you wouldn't say that. Push. Whoa. Okay. No, if someone's having their house burned down, if someone's in a crisis and they say, I'm sorry, I forgot that. You say, oh man, don't worry about it. You had plenty to think about. You had all kinds of stuff on your mind. This is a small deal compared to what you were going through. I, was, I, I went one Friday evening. I went to see a church member, a man whose wife had died fairly recently. And I thought, I'm just going to go by and pay him a little visit. So I'm there. The sun has gone down, and we're sitting in his front room. We're just talking together, he and I. And as we're talking, I see headlights coming up the driveway to his house out in the country. And we both wonder who it is. I said, were you expecting somebody? He said, no. And then the car parks, and a woman gets out of the car. And she comes to the door, rings the bell, and he opens the door. And um, she has some soup, and some homemade bread, and some fruit, and a few other good things. And she says, I was thinking about you, and I just wanted to bring you a little treat. If you don't need to eat it tonight, maybe you can heat it up tomorrow, but it's all fresh, and I made it all for you myself. And he said, thank you. It astounded me, and I'll tell you why. Her name was Marla. She had terminal colon cancer. She was going to be dead in a couple of weeks. And she is making food to give people who have lost their wives. And she's saying, I hope it helps you feel a little better. You're in my prayers. You know what? If Marla had chosen to stay home that night and make nothing for anybody, nobody would have wondered why she was so insensitive. The fact that she was out there bringing something to him, ministering to his grief, when her life is ebbing away is very impressive to me. And I see something even more impressive in Jesus. He's about to give his life for the world. The sins of the world are wearing down on his shoulders. He's got plenty of things to think about. but he remembers his friends and he says, let these go free. Friends, if he remembers them during a crisis like that in his life, don't you ever imagine he would forget you now. Right? If he remembers his friends when that big a crisis is coming down, he's not going to forget you now. He's not in crisis. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know He watches me. You seek me, he said. Let these go their way. Wonderful substitute. Wonderful Savior. Isaiah 53, we're all acquainted with this passage. He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Our punishment was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let these go free. I'm going to take the rap. I'm going to take what was intended for them. Let them go free. Psalms 91.4 says, "His, He is truth. His truth shall be your shield and armor. His truth shall be your shield and armor. What is a shield's purpose? A shield's purpose is to absorb the blow that was meant for you. Right? On May 21st, 1946, in Los Alamos, New Mexico, scientists were conducting an experiment for atomic testing. Perhaps you've heard this story they had done it several times. This is 1946. This is primitive testing. they had done this test several times to try to determine the amount of U-235 needed for a chain reaction. They push two hemispheres of uranium together on a table. And then, just as the mass becomes critical, they separate the spheres with a screwdriver, instantly stopping the chain reaction before it gets out of hand. On this particular day just as the material reached critical mass, the screwdriver slipped onto the floor. The room was suddenly filled with a dazzling blue haze. You could smell the odor. There was a crackling. And Lewis Slotin, one of the scientists around that table, reached down with his bare hands and pushed the hemispheres apart, stopping the chain reaction. There were seven other people in the room with him. He turned around calmly after stopping the chain reaction. He said to them, You will come through all right, but I haven't the faintest chance. And nine days later, he died in agony. Friends, 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked directly into sin's most concentrated radiation. Walked into it. Walked into it. He absorbed the curse. Broke the chain reaction and the power of sin. That's what he did. And he died an agonizing death. You remember justice? Justice? The wages of sin are death? I used to misunderstand that. I wish we'd had time to talk more about this this week. We didn't. But there's some real value in doing a study together on what sin really is. For far too long we've thought sin was misbehavior, bad deeds. And so when I read that passage, the wages of sin are death, I I always interpreted it like this. If I mess up, God's going to spank me. He's going to punish me. He's going to kill me. So if I misbehave, bam. I came by that misunderstanding fairly honestly. I can remember being in the foyer one Sabbath after church and hearing a couple of the saints talking to each other about a young man who went to our academy who had gone skiing on Sabbath, snow skiing on Sabbath, actually come to Lake Tahoe to ski on Sabbath. And he had taken a fall and his binding hadn't released. And he broke his leg. And I remember hearing the saints talking to each other and saying, oh my, did you hear about, you know, Johnny? He was up there skiing at Heavenly Valley on Sabbath and he broke his leg. And one of the other saints said back, oh, he should never have been skiing on Sabbath. And the other one said, yeah, I know. That's why he broke his leg. What's the the picture of God you get there? You break my Sabbath, I break your leg. Is that a picture of God you're comfortable with? No, not me either. I wondered to myself when they said that, I wondered to myself, I wonder how they explain people who break their legs on Sunday. But when I begin to understand a little different spin on what sin really is, I'm going to give you the summary because there's no time to give you the, um, the the study on it. But here's the summary. You can go study it out for yourself. You don't have to believe me. You can study this for yourself. You shouldn't believe me anyway. Because if I'm wrong and you hang it on me, you could be lost with me. you got to be going one-on-one with Jesus yourself. Okay, so you can do the study later. I've done the study and I would have given it to you, but I'm out of time. So here's the deal. The, the bottom line, sin is not misbehavior. Sin is living life apart from God. It's separation from God. At its core, sin is a broken relationship and broken relationships have fruit of misbehavior. But misbehavior is not the problem. The broken relationship is. Living life apart from Jesus is what sin is really all about. So that's just a quick study. But when you understand that, then the wages of sin is death makes a whole, whole different... Um, sense to you because if if sin is separating from Jesus and if Jesus is the source of life then separating from the source of life results in death naturally not because God punishes you for misbehaving but because when you cut yourself off from Jesus and go independent you have cut yourself off from the source of life and death is the only option left for you And that's a whole different picture of God that's not someone looking over watching to see if you're going to mess up so he can nail you it's someone who's saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you. Like a mother him would gather her chicks, but you won't come to me. How can I let you go? Justice comes. The wages of sin are death. Justice says they are sinners, and he points at you and me. They are sinners. I will have them. The wages of sin. They must perish. And Jesus steps forward and He says, Who are you looking for? Justice says, sinners. Sinners. Sinners with blood on their hands. And Jesus answers, they are not sinners. They were sinners once. But now they're clothed in My righteousness. If you seek sinners, here I am. The sinner's substitute, take Me. Let these go free. Let these go free. Let these go free. And justice took the Savior and nailed him to a wooden cross. And Jesus took our place. He took our place. And in that hour Jesus cried, Father, forgive them. The people who are nailing him. He says, Father, forgive them. Let these go free. Oh, what a savior. What a wonderful Savior. If you feel like you're in a coliseum and the lions are coming at you and you don't know which way to turn and it looks terrifying, troubles rushing your way, remember this message. Jesus is going to say someday <clears throat> He's going to welcome you home. But before that, He's going to say to you now, let these go free. I'm on this kid's side. I'm on this man's side. I'm on this woman's side. And I'm going to intercede on their behalf. And you know, there's nothing, as I said in church this morning, there's nothing too bad that's going to ever happen to you. Because I'm here with you. You know, no fear. I'm here. That's what he says. Perhaps you're in a dungeon of despair. Well, here's a key that fits the lock. Let these go free. Jesus, he holds the keys. Maybe you've stumbled into the swamp of despondency. Well, here's a little footstool or step that you can cross, step on to get out of that. It's Jesus saying, let these go free. Let these go free. Whatever your trouble, whatever your burden, whatever your concern, whatever your anxiety, whatever your worry, Jesus says to you, if you come unto me, I'll give you rest. You can go free. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You'll be free indeed. Why? Because someone stepped in and took our place. Romans 5.8 said that when he stepped in, we were still sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The spotless Son of God hung upon the cross, His flesh lacerated with stripes, hands so often reached out in blessing, nailed to the wooden bars. His feet so tireless in ministries of love, spiked to the tree. His royal head pierced by the crown of thorns and all that He endured. The blood drops flowing from His head, His hands, His feet. The agony that racked His frame. The unutterable anguish that filled His soul with the hiding of His Father's face. Yet all speaks to every human being declaring this, it is for you, it is for you that the Son of God consents to bear this burden of guilt. For you. It is for you He spoils the dominion of death and opens the gates of paradise. For you He stills the angry waves and walks across the foam-capped billows. For you He makes devils tremble and disease flee. He who opened the blind eyes and called forth the dead to life, He who had the power to raise the dead, let himself die for you, so you could go free. He offers himself upon a cross as a sacrifice out of love for you. Ernest Gordon, in his book *Miracle on the River Kwai*, tells a story about Japanese soldiers forcing prisoners of war to build a railroad, and they're uh, overseeing this construction of the railroad and. One day this group of POWs is working on the railroad in forced labor, slave labor. And um, it appears that a shovel necessary to do the work has come up missing. And the enraged officer who's overseeing this particular group of workers demands to know where the missing shovel is. Demands that the shovel be produced. Demands that the thief who took the shovel confess right now. And he's getting more and more angry. He's just becoming rabid with his rage. But nobody answered. Nobody budged. Nobody responded. He pulled out a revolver. And he threatened to kill every one of those POWs one at a time until the thief confessed. Nobody said anything. They all stood there looking at him blankly. Then he pulled the hammer back, put the safety off, pulled the hammer back, put it to the temples of one man. And as he put the gun to the temples of one man, another man stepped forward and said, I hid the shovel. I took it. And this officer lunged for the guy, took the backside of his Pistol and smashed him in the skull. The fellow fell to the ground. Then he grabbed, the officer grabbed another shovel that wasn't lost and began hitting the guy, flailing the guy with a shovel in front of everybody until the guy was just a bloody, bruised pulp. And the man died right there in front of all of his fellow prisoners. Then the officer demanded that the survivors pick up the bloody corpse and carry it on to the next tool check spot and when they got to the next tool check spot they discovered the shovel had not been missing at all it was right where it had been left and suddenly all those prisoners realized what had just happened an innocent man had said i'll take the blow let these go free let these go free An innocent man stepped up and took the death sentence for everybody else. Friends, we are still prisoners of war and we are trapped in a concentration camp. It's called the world of sin. But the war is not over yet. The war is not over yet. There was a folded napkin in Joseph's tomb. You know what that means? This is a cool thing. I've been told. I love it. I'm going to share it with you. Remember, as John tells the story of Peter and himself racing to the tomb... And then looking inside, he describes seeing the burial headcloth neatly folded and left sitting there where Jesus' body had been laying. You remember that? Well, there's a Hebrew tradition. Masters of servants, when they go to eat a meal, the servants would wait on them. They'd stand back and they would wait on them and they would take things and bring things and so on. Well, the Hebrew tradition is this that the master gave cues to his servants whether or not he was done eating or not, if he had to get up for some purpose, to take care of something, if he was done eating, he would wad up his napkin and stick it on the plate in a wad, if he was done. And the servants knew that that meant that when he walked out of the room, they could clear the table. But if he was not done yet, was just going to take care of something and then return to finish, he would fold the napkin and set it to the side. Oh, I just love this. Jesus steps out of the tomb on Sunday morning. He steps out into glory. Gabriel says, Son of God, your Father calls you. He steps out of the tomb. Everybody in the whole heavenly universe is waiting to welcome him home. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hang on, Gabe. Jesus goes back into the tomb and he folds the napkin. And he sets it down, which is his way of saying, it's not over, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I am coming back. And when he does, in the clouds of glory, I can just hear him shout across the ages, let these go free, and the redeemed will rise to meet him in the air, and we'll go to a place where we will live free forever, free from pain, free from sorrow, free from heartache, free from sadness, free from loneliness, free from rejection, free from any and every negative thing, free forever because someone took our place. His name is Jesus. And if there was one thing that Margie and I would want you to remember, And to have gotten from our sharing with you this week, it's contained in the song we're going to play on the screen right now as we close. It was written by uh, some preachers who happen to also be musicians. I just want you to hear our hearts in this message. Let's get the volume up, please. commend Him that last picture just before can't you just can't you just imagine putting your arms around Jesus and squeezing and feeling Him squeeze back wow let's pray Lord Jesus we want to love you more we want to know you better we want to fellowship with you every day, not just at camp meeting, not just on Sabbath. We want to experience this the invitation to friendship that you've extended our way. I just can't conceive of love like yours. That you would come to this planet, that you would let them do the things they did to you, and that you would say on behalf of your disciples, let these go free. That you would say on behalf of each one of us here tonight, let these go free. These are my friends. Let these go free. Ah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's exciting to see that everything is converging on our planet. For meltdown. It's exciting to recognize that more and more people are also getting to know you and are talking about what a wonderful friend they found in Jesus. It's exciting for us to consider that in just a little while we're going home. May not one person who's here be left behind when you come for your friends, and may each one of us tell others about what a friend we've found in Jesus. It's my prayer. In your name, Lord Jesus. In your name, name above all names. Amen.